0: Welcome to episode 281. Are you gluten intolerant, celiac or have some degree of anxiety, depression or autism? Or maybe your partner or kids fall into these categories. Now, what if I told you that those issues may be caused by the chemicals that are used on mainstream conventional farms that end up in your food and that the plants on those farms are genetically modified in a way that means they do not fall into a just eat real food diet because they're no longer real food. Today's episode might actually give you all the answers you've been looking for with your health issues. And the beautiful thing is the solution we share is doable at home. Not only that, but we discuss how messing with the genes of plants and animals on the earth might lead to an extinction event of not only our species, but many others. And why this catapulting ship needs to be turned around immediately. There is a ton of passion in this episode and absolutely everyone needs to hear this message as it might just save your kids, grandkids, and the future of what remains of planet Earth and nature as we know it. So, let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up my healthy friends, we've just hit record and we're bringing to you what might just be a bit of a confronting conversation for all of the right reasons, because knowing this stuff, I believe is super important to the health of you, your family and future generations. Now, in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And an aspect of health which we give very little thought to is that of GMOs, despite it playing a major role in the relationship that exists between diet and disease and the relationship that exists with emotional eating too, as a side note. And all of this is caused by the problems with Big Ag. And what I mean by Big Ag is the agricultural industrial complex. To chat with me about this, I want to introduce a leading spokesperson on GMO health dangers, GMO being genetically modified organisms. I want you to meet Jeffrey Smith, whom has authored two global bestsellers, directed five films, delivered thousands of lectures and thousands of interviews in 45 different countries. He's trained 1,500 speakers and organized over 10,000 grassroots advocates to defend the health of the entire world's population against these increasingly damaging pharmaceutical, pesticide, and herbicide laboratories and biotech companies. He is now sounding the alarm about the serious, even irreversible hazards from new genetic engineering techniques which can lead to the health and environmental catastrophes that have in some cases already begun but are predicted to occur. Jeffrey heads up the global Protect Nature Now coalition urging governments to stop releasing genetically engineered microbes. So put your life vest on as we dive into today's rabbit hole. And I want to introduce you to this wonderful man. Welcome, Jeff. I'm excited to have you here, mate. How are you?
1: Great, Maddie. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. So, can we start
0: with removing a bit of stigma? Because my in my exposure to a wide array of people in the community irrelevant of socioeconomic status, it appears that being against GMO is a bit of an underground hippie movement and anything that is branded as a bit of a hippie movement is generally immediately shunned by the mainstream and easily leveraged against by media and news outlets to facilitate that shunning. Uh, So can we just debunk why it's a legitimate concern and not just a tale that off-grid anti-science hippies conspire about?
1: It's interesting because I actually learned about the dangers of GMOs from a top genetic engineer award-winning from the National Institutes of Health and won a grant there. And he blew the whistle on GMOs uh, in 1996, the year it was about to be planted and put into our food supply, saying there's no way that anyone anywhere in the world can guarantee the safety of these GMOs. He said, I'm intimately connected with what happens in the DNA when you insert another gene into it or rearrange the order or whatever. It creates massive collateral damage. It can create higher levels of, of allergens, of toxins. It can create new diseases. And there's no way that Monsanto, the major company that was putting this out into the food supply, could protect our health. And they weren't even doing the research to see the kind of potential allergens or toxins that would be in the food. Moreover, it gets into the environment and then it can self-replicate and affect all future generations. You started out by using the word rabbit hole, and you're in Australia, so you know that 24 rabbits were released in 1859 to make visitors feel more comfortable, and by the 1920s, there was an estimated 10 billion rabbits, so little introductions to the environment that are not in balance with that ecosystem can throw it off. So these are the things that I heard about in 1996. But you're right that there's a, there's a sense, a mystique, that those of us who are calling for more science are somehow anti-science. And this is by design. I have been analyzing the disinformation, the fraud, by companies like Monsanto, their enforcement wing, and the FDA, and around the world. And part of their messaging is to try and marginalize those and even reject and vilify those that find problems or even raise questions. In the first book that I wrote, Seeds of Deception, the first chapter is about one of the top scientists in the world and the top scientist in his field, Dr. Arpad Fustai. And he he discovered that GMOs were inherently dangerous. He was fired from his job after 35 years, silenced with threats of a lawsuit, and used as the poster child to show other scientists what could happen to them if they dared to question the the dogma that GMOs were safe, and there was political ramifications, uh, commercial ramifications, scientific ramifications, media ramifications, all manipulated by big ag, and we have exposed that very clearly. It's not a question anymore. It's leaked documents, actual planning memos, actual testifying. And so we know that Our dream of, you know, catching them red handed has been realized they have been caught red handed, but a lot of people still don't know.
0: And it's, it's interesting you talk about being caught red-handed because and I might be jumping a few steps ahead in the timeline here, but um, you know we've got court cases in the context of cancer and Monsanto's product uh, Roundup and glyphosate, where there's payouts of two hundred and eighty-nine million dollars to you know a single individual, um, and if that's not a declaration of guilt, I don't know what is.
1: It's true that first one um, two hundred eighty-nine million. It was reduced by the judge. But the juries were furious, and the punitive damages in the third case, it was two billion just for punitive damages and I remember sitting with the plaintiffs that night after they had gotten the award with all of the lawyers, and they were like, "This is surreal. We just got two point o five billion dollars awarded. It turns out that is a perfect example, Maddie, to bring up, because it shows how we catch them red-handed, for example, I have been reporting on how monsanto Uses corporate science, rigged research to force conclusions of safety, even though their own research either is designed to cover it up or does not actually test for the right thing. So I'm aware of most of the uh the ways that they've used sleight of hand. But what happened on the on the stand that day was completely new to me. It came from the deep dive that these excellent attorneys did. They found That when Monsanto wanted to test the absorption capacity of Roundup herbicide, which is important for GMOs, and we'll explain in just a moment, but they put Roundup on human cadaver skin as they do and found it about 10% absorbed, which was about 3.3 times the allowable level by the US Environmental Protection Agency. They never told the EPA. Instead, they did pure Monsanto science. They took new cadaver skin and baked it in an oven. We know what happens to meat when you bake in an oven. It gets tough, but that wasn't good enough. They then froze the baked meat, baked human skin, and took that leather-like human skin and put Roundup on it, and hardly any was absorbed. And those were the numbers they reported to the EPA without telling the government that they had baked and frozen the human skin first. This is an example Of their science. I wasn't surprised by it, but it was a wonderful example.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely not surprised by it at this point either. And I guess for those that don't know what Roundup is and the history of, I guess, you know, why that was a product that Monsanto used and where it came from, can you just run us through a a little bit of that to give some context for those that don't know?
1: It's very important to start here because this is where GMOs started. Glyphosate is a molecule that was originally patented as a solution to clean industrial boilers and pipes. And that's because it was a chelator, meaning it grabbed on to the mineral residues in those pipes and then pushed them out. When it was emptied into the ground, it killed all of the plant life. So Monsanto bought the molecule and patented it as an herbicide. And they put it into an herbicide they called Roundup and a lot of other nasties. But the chief poison was glyphosate. And they had a patent on it that expired in the year 2000. And they knew that it would be flooded, the market, by all these China knockoffs, etc. And so they came up with a plan. They were aware that glyphosate is an antibiotic. It kills bacteria. In fact, oddly, it kills Beneficial bacteria, but not the nasty stuff, which makes it unique and particularly dangerous. But in this case, they found bacteria growing in a chemical waste dump near their factory, not dying in the presence of glyphosate. So they figured, great, let's put it in the food supply. So they took the gene out of the bacterium that was allowing it to survive and put it into soybeans and corn and canola and cotton. And now you can spray those GMOs, genetically modified organisms, with Roundup, which would normally kill natural soy, corn, cotton, or canola, but not the Roundup ready version. And you could end up weeding more easily because it kills all of the other plant life on the field, but not the GMO. And when they sold the seeds for the easier weeding, technology to the farmers, the farmers had to sign a contract that they would only buy Monsanto's glyphosate-based herbicides, not the Chinese knockoffs. So it was a way to sell more agricultural chemicals. Now, what's interesting is this. Glyphosate is toxic. It gets absorbed into the plant. We just heard how it gets absorbed into the skin. It's because there's something that pushes it into the skin and that it was there to push it into the plants. It goes into the plants and a lot of large amount of it gets deposited in the food portion of the plants, which we eat. So that means the Roundup Ready crops have a toxin, a poison in it that we eat. But we don't know if, if you feed rats, GMOs, that had been sprayed with Roundup and the rats developed all sorts of health problems, which they do. You don't know if it's the GMO or the Roundup. So, Dr. Gilles Eric Seralini, a toxicologist from France, had been evaluating the submissions by Monsanto for approval in France and for the EU and realized that Roundup ready corn had over 50 different statistically significant changes in rats in just 90 days, showing evidence of toxicity of the liver and kidneys, but Monsanto stops their research after 90 days before they have a chance to develop whatever they're going to develop. So he took Monsanto's protocols, the same type of rats, the same number of rats per group, but let them eat the Roundup Ready corn for two years. And starting in the next month after 90 days, They started to develop tumors. And by the end, there were multiple massive tumors, premature death, and organ damage. The the precursors to the damage to the liver and kidneys turned out to be full-blown damage in the organs. Now, he wanted to find out, is it the Roundup-ready corn or is it the Roundup? So he had Roundup-ready corn that had been sprayed with Roundup, had all those problems. But the rats that ate the Roundup-ready corn that had not been sprayed with Roundup also developed multiple massive tumors, early death, and organ damage. So great. We now know it's the Roundup-ready corn. But the group that drank the piece, little bit of Roundup Mm -hmm. in their water and didn't have the GMO corn developed multiple, multiple massive tumors, early death, and organ damage. So individually and together, massive health damage. So with GMOs, whether it's GMOs related to some other thing, not Roundup ready, or especially if it's Roundup ready, because now you have the Roundup in your food, it can be a disaster.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as you just eloquently described, you know, it's a twofold hit because it's the the actual product that then goes into the soil, but you've also got the genetic modification of the plant itself in order to be able to survive exposure to that. Um, and the and as part of the practical use of it on a farm, it you know removes all the weeds, it removes all of the other life, the spiders, the bugs, um, and all of those things contribute you know to a microbiodiverse diverse uh, environment for healthy food to grow. Uh, and we've got these monocrop agriculture farms that have got literally no life at all except for this one plant. And then we eat those plants and you know, not only are they contaminated with these toxins, but we've also got a plant that wasn't really grown in nature. I mean, it kind of was, but it wasn't. Um, and so our, we, like, why should we expect our guts to be biodiverse if the food or the farms that they're coming from aren't biodiverse?
1: You mentioned something about gut. I think it's a good um, opportunity to highlight some of the things that can go wrong with eating GMOs and Roundup. I was uh, talking to many, many different groups uh, about the dangers of GMOs for years, traveling at that point in 25 countries. People would come up to me and say, I can feel the difference if I eat a GMO. And I'm a little embarrassed to say that I was skeptical. Mm -hmm. I figured there'd be some minor change in statistical analyses of certain diseases over time. But I was also speaking at medical conferences starting in 2006. And I was at this environmental medical conference year after year where they focused on a particular disease, a different one each year. And I brought all the evidence of GMOs and autoimmune disease or allergies or cancer or various different things. Each year, a different disease. And I compiled all the evidence showing the clear link. On the fourth year, I brought a video camera and I started interviewing these doctors. And I asked them about their opinion. And they didn't just give their opinion. They said, my patients who eat GMOs suffer more. An allergist said they have bigger allergies to GMO corn. Another one said it causes inflammation. Dr. Emily Lindner said, I put everyone on a non-GMO diet and they all get better. And I'm like, still a little skeptical. I said, what percentage? She said, I told you. All right, 98%. I said, how many? She took a little time to figure it out and said, 5,000. Wow. I said, Can I go to your office and interview them? She said, Sure. So I went to her office and others. And sure enough, when they switched to a non GMO and largely organic diet, they got better from things that they weren't getting better from before. Now, they were also getting other treatments. So what is it? Is it the diet or the other treatments? But I also started visiting farms that had taken pigs and cows off of the GMOs, and they started getting better from the same things that the humans were getting better from. So someone's Crohn's disease or inflammatory bowel disease disappeared on the organic diet, and the pig diarrhea went away in two days. Mm -hmm. And all these correlations were happening. And I started asking audiences, what did you notice you got better from? And I went to about 150 lectures, including about two dozen medical conferences, where they were speaking not on their own behalf, but upon but on behalf of a 1,000 or more uh, patients that they had. And I was seeing a dramatic improvement in gastrointestinal disease, absolutely dramatic, always the number one. The second question was, how many people noticed an increase in energy and in brain fog? It was always number two. And then there was kidney problems and all sorts of issues. So what I did is I I did a survey of 3256 people. And I put those 28 conditions that I had seen get better in the people in the audience. Mm-hmm. And I said, did you get better from any of these and how better? You know, slightly, significant, almost gone, completely gone. And Digestion was number one, 85.2% got better from digestion, then 60% fatigue, 55% overweight or obesity, 52% brain fog, 52% anxiety and depression, food allergies and sensitivities at 50%. Then memory and concentration, joint pain, seasonal allergies, gluten sensitivities, insomnia, hormonal problems, autoimmune disease, eczema, asthma, menstrual problems, diabetes, autism, cancer, all of these being reported. Now, at the same time, A friend of mine, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, a senior researcher at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, was working with Dr. Nancy Swanson to pull in all the data linking the increased use of GMOs and Roundup in the U.S. food supply and seeing if there was any correlation with the increased prevalence of disease. And sure enough, all the ones that I talked about or similar ones were increasing in parallel. Mm-hmm. Inflammatory bowel, cancer, autism, diabetes, deaths from hypertension, deaths from Parkinson's, et cetera. About 40 different diseases and disorders. But that's just correlational. But we also see that the animals that were fed GMOs around it actually suffered from these diseases or their precursors. The veterinarians and clinicians for humans describe people getting better from them. And now we understand the modes of action linking GMOs or Roundup or both to the particular disease. So I could say with great confidence that eating GMOs or Roundup in the diet is probably one of the number one dangers for getting sick and dying.
0: Yeah, well, and... All nutritionists probably know this and even if you're not a nutritionist, you probably know this. But being in Australia, and we're obviously so far away from the rest of the world, but it's probably the same in the US with how much Roundup Ready uh, materials are used uh, to grow grain, uh, particularly is that when you're in Australia, if you have gut issues or celiac disease or gluten intolerance, uh, you know it's very normal that you'll get a highly inflammatory response when you eat bread or pasta or anything like that here. But if you go to Italy... It's like common knowledge that if you go to Italy or France or anywhere like that and you eat, you know, these obviously cultures have a very strong pasta and bread uh, culture and you eat, you know, the the food there, you don't have the same gut problems. Um, And I heard years ago, I forget who was talking about it, um, it might have been, is it William Davis that wrote Wheat Brain? Um, yes. 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 Yeah, and he was talking about the fact that it actually might not be the gluten or the gliadin molecules. It might be that all of the stuff that we put in, not just the wheat, but all of the vegetables, all of the salads, all of it has this massive dose of glyphosate and, and this massive do- dose of this you know these different herbicides. When we remove those, then the problem seems to go away. So we're possibly blaming the wrong molecule for the problem.
1: I think I was the first person to publicly state a link between GMOs, Roundup, and gluten back in 2012. And it was at a press conference. And then I invited Dr. Stephanie Seneff and gluten expert Tom O'Brien to to collaborate and put together the best thing that I could come up with in terms of the link showing the leaky gut, the changes in the microbiome, the inflammation and, and heightened immune response the suppressed digestive enzymes all contribute to the re- response of the body to uh gluten but i wasn't aware at the time as i am now that starting in 2006 i believe monsanto started promoting glyphosate based herbicides like roundup to spray on wheat just before harvest literally Three days, up to five days, three to five days before harvest to dry it down, desiccant. And at the same time, you'd kill all the weeds for the next year. You'd dry it down, you'd kill it, but it would dry down so it wouldn't be moldy. It'd be easier to um, harvest. Also, it turns out it can accelerate the ripening. So if it's uneven ripening or it's, you're in a cold climate and it's not quite there, you spray it and it ripens quickly. So it's now sprayed on a lot of wheat. And there's correlational charts that I have that show, for example, the amount of glyphosate sprayed on the wheat related to celiac disease. And there's a parallel there. So what's tragic is some people who are gluten sensitive stop having wheat and substitute corn. And corn is largely GMO. And if it's not Roundup Ready, and it usually is, it can also be something that produces a toxin called BT toxin. Now, BT toxin kills insects. You spray it on the on your garden if it's an insect uh, infestation. It'll poke holes in the guts of the insect and kill them, and then it'll biodegrade or wash off. However, The Bt toxin that's built into corn is thousands of times more concentrated than the spray form. Mm -hmm. It's designed to be more toxic. It doesn't wash off. It doesn't biodegrade. And in high concentrations in laboratories, it'll poke holes in human cells, the same holes that it uses to kill insects. So you eat corn because you're trying to avoid wheat. And you may be having intracellular leaky gut, little holes in the walls of your one cell thick intestines. Or the glyphosate, and they usually have both Bt toxin and Roundup Ready. The glyphosate splits open the tight junctions in the gut, intercellular leaky gut. And there is a study by a Harvard, famous Harvard scientist. The title of the study is All Disease Begins in Leaky Gut. All disease. I mean, it was a bold statement, but he pointed out the derivation of autoimmune disease, inflammation, cancer, all of these things linked to leaky gut. And here you have holes in the cells that may occur from Bt toxin and gaps between the cells that may occur from glyphosate, a double whammy. And they found in the bloodstream of 93% of the pregnant women tested in Canada, the Bt toxin that had been in their diet. And it may have been, and I'll just cut short to the bottom line here, it's possible that by having a gene in the corn that produces the Bt toxin, if that gene transfers to our gut bacteria, it might turn our intestinal flora into living pesticide factories producing BT 24-7. That is a plausible explanation as to why so many of these women had BT toxin in their blood, not yet proven.
0: So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link, and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, it's because it's interesting as well that we live in you know the USA, Australia. We live in countries that are Western privileged. Wealthy, we have all of this abundance, yet we seem to have skyrocketing levels of disease, higher than some of the third world countries. And it's such a bizarre conundrum to be in. It's like, why is are the wealthiest countries in the world, uh, you know, the, where people have access to healthcare, and especially in Australia, we have abundant access to healthcare in comparison to some countries. Uh, why we have we got all these diseases, and it's the that same kind of economically incentivized wealth of like let's use science or medicine or pharmaceuticals or herbicides or pesticides to speed up the, the process uh, of growing and you know cultivating these uh, farms and these crops and different things to feed people sooner because the population's growing but at the same time we're feeding them faster but we're also killing them faster
1: <laughs> yeah I mean I could talk about the government the approval process in Australia how corrupt it is I can I, I did a tour and spoke to uh, ministers of agriculture in many of the states, and went to the uh, Canberra and went to the to the heads of the um, gene regulate gene regulators and all that. The head of your version of the FDA, and spoke to them all. And I saw the corruption firsthand. I mean, when there was a time when t- you hadn't yet approved genetically modified canola, and Australia was making extra money on their canola because Canada, which developed canola was getting it discounted because all of theirs was GMO. So Australia was actually enjoying a premium. And so I I talked to these ministers of agriculture and said, you're going to lose your premium, you're going to lose markets in Japan, and there's going to be contamination. So those that are not growing GM canola will end up having to deal with it. But there were two states that they wouldn't meet with me because they had already been convinced by Monsanto Mm -hmm. to accept it. And it turns out that the main farmer organization was now being given a commission on sales for genetically engineered canola. And so they had tied that up. They refused to meet with me. Three weeks after I left Australia, they approved it. They lost their premium. They lost some of the markets in Japan. There was contamination. Sometimes they couldn't even sell the GMO canola. Everything we said. Now, it turns out, I remember speaking to the regulators in, in Australia and saying, you don't require animal feeding studies. Now, you can't tell simply by compositional studies if you've increased a toxin or an allergen in the process of genetic engineering. And as a backstory, you take the Roundup Ready corn, for example. It has over 200 differences in proteins and metabolites, including an increase, I love these names in cadaverine mm-hmm. and putrescine, responsible for the foul odor of rotting dead bodies yep. and bad breath and linked to allergies and and, tox- and cancer. And you there's no evaluation of these changes. The BT corn from Monsanto has a gene that's switched on that produces a known allergen. That's not discovered by the regulators. It was discovered by independent scientists long after it was being fed to a population that might have been getting sick or dying from the allergens or the toxins, mm-hmm. so I said to the regulators in Australia, "How come you can't you don't require animal feeding studies to catch some of these problems?" And she said, "Oh, they're not necessary because sometimes they don't find the problem
0: <laughs> sometimes
1: <laughs> and, and I'm like, it's true and And she pointed out there's a study that shows that you can do an animal feeding study and it'll say it's okay. But for humans, it's a problem. Of course, it's a different organism.
0: It's going to respond differently.
1: So that's a false negative. But the thing is, it also works in so many other ways. In fact, the animals that were fed GMOs and Roundup in other places where it was required developed potentially precancerous cell growth in the digestive tract, smaller brains, livers and testicles, partial atrophy of the liver, changes in every organ. Basically, every single system evaluated showed interference, problems, or serious damage. And none of that would have been picked up by the superficial research that the biotic industry does to get their foods on the market. And there's, we talked in the beginning about the, the rigged research, but they also used false scientific assumptions. And one was in a product that they were trying to get approved by Australia. I just happen to be taught, I can do this with any country. I've been to 45 countries, but as long as you're in Australia, I'm just going to give you the Australia That is great. So, so they said, we want you to approve high lysine corn for pigs. We put in a gene that produces a protein, lysine, uh, uh, and then you get to approve it and you don't even have to test it because this product is found naturally in soil. And since soil is often on foods that we eat, then we already have exposure to it, so it's already in the food supply, no testing necessary. So Dr. Jack Heineman from uh, Christchurch uh, did call their bluff and analyzed, basically, what does the average male American eat in terms of corn per day? And if they were eating Monsanto's high lysine corn, how much of that protein or amino acid would they be eating per day? How much of it is naturally found in soil? How much soil would they need to be eating per day to get an equivalent dose? And the amount of soil that an average male American would have to eat per day uh, is 22,000 pounds per second.
0: Per second. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) uh,
1: 10,000 kilograms per second. Yeah, wow. So, this is, the, this is Monsanto science. So, you know, it turns out 93% of all the independent medical and scientific organizations do not think that GMOs are safe. But that's not what you hear them say. They'll say, it's already done, it's a, it's a consensus. And they have actually an, eco- an echo chamber of their own scientists and front organizations that they give talking points to. And they all say the same thing, and then they say it's consensus. And it's all manufactured,
0: yeah, that's wild. you You might not know, Jeff, but I spent ten years working as a molecular biologist, and it's I love that. <laughs> and so just for the listeners, the media really portrays that we understand genes and genetics like exceptionally well and you go to your doctor and you hear you've got oh we'll do some genetic testing and we'll have this snip and this snip but the truth is it's very much like the brain like brain science in in that it's a completely other world that we don't really know much about in context to say other parts of the body or medicine or science and even though you know the media campaign for genetics is is pretty is pretty healthy and alive and convincing people that it knows everything but when you change a gene in an organism that then goes out into the ecosystem, that single gene or group of genes doesn't just impact that species, it then impacts all of the species in a habitat that engage with that particular microbe or you know or plant or whatever it might be because the habitat is a sort of you know nature has designed the habitat that everything's complementary in an extremely complex way so as soon as you start introducing species to that habitat it has a long-term downstream effect that science studies would never go long enough to discover
1: i think we have to jump into this one (laughs) (laughs) i think you just set me up here let's go maddie okay (laughs) okay All right. So I, I've spoken, I've been doing this for 27 years and I recommend that people eat organic because the organic food does not allow GMOs or Roundup. So let's tie that up and put it to the side. Everyone eat organic. If you're not sure yet, watch the movie Secret Ingredients that I did with Amy Hart and you'll find it online at secretingredientsfilm.com and it's, it, it, it convinces everyone because it describes what happens to people's health when they switch to organic. All right. I did my job for human health. Now we're going to do planetary health and human health as well. So it turns out that you can now create GMOs for next to nothing in terms of dollars. There's new types of GMOs called gene editing. The most famous example is CRISPR.
0: I used to work on CRISPR before I left the hospital. I, well, that was fairly recent. Yeah, then. I finished up at the hospital to run this full time uh, about two and a half years ago. At this point, and uh, we, we yeah, were just right. beginning uh, CRISPR studies.
1: All right, so I will give you, if you haven't been following CRISPR, I'm going to give you a one minute uh, primer on what I have come up mm-hmm. with from my perspective. I'm very, I'm very narrow in my focus. So you know, there's a thousand things I don't know, but this I do. The journal of Nature described the outcome of three CRISPR experiments where they gene-edited human embryos as chromosomal mayhem. Massive deletions, additions, um, rearrangements. And we created a six-minute video at responsibletechnology.org called Seven Reasons Why Gene Editing is Dangerous and Unpredictable. And we described these categories of how it can cut the genome and cause these changes, have epigenetic changes that can be inherited to future generations, et cetera, et cetera. The reason why we did it is because the biotech industry, Bayer bought Monsanto, so they're a primary driver of disinformation now, has convinced the Australian government, the U.S. government, the Canadian government, the U.K. government, India, Japan, Brazil, Argentina, that somehow gene editing is safe and predictable, even natural, and has convinced them to fully deregulate. What that means is, look the other way. What that means is, if you create a GMO, you can put it on the food supply or you can release it outdoors and tell no one now to gene edit using CRISPR. Two and a half years ago, it was a little more expensive. Now you can buy a basic lab for less than $2,000 and create your own genetically engineered microbes. Now, with a little more, you can make food and plants and animals. But the easiest and the ones that are done most often are microorganisms, which turn out to be the most dangerous of all species to genetically engineer. We know about pathogens. We know that they might create diseases. But you know, Maddie, and many of your listeners have heard of the microbiome. Mm -hmm. The microbiome, basically, it's the vast micro Jedi army inside our bodies and everywhere on the planet that work for the benefit of biology that we're only realizing now is mission critical. 80% of human diseases are theoretically linked to imbalances in the microbiome. We've outsourced up to 90% of our metabolic and chemical functions to our inner critters. We can get away with a measly 23,000 genes in our genome, less than earthworms, because we use the genetic information of the 3.5 million genes of the microbes living inside us. There's a vast, complex symbiotic relationship that keeps us alive, that even can dictate what our mood is and what our desires are because of the crosstalk that occurs. And we have identified less than 1% of the approximately trillion microbes out there. So now, consider that all the high school biology classes, and certainly already the college biology labs, have CRISPR or will get them, and they'll assign, okay, genetically engineer a microbe. They don't have the facilities to contain it. Millions of varieties will flood the biosphere, whether someone licks their fingers or touches something, whatever. And you know, and most people don't, what's called horizontal gene transfer, where you genetically engineer a microorganism, it travels. We know it mutates. Everyone has seen mutation of COVID. So yes, traveling and mutating, we've got. Everyone knows that. Horizontal gene transfer. Think of gene swaps, swap meets. I don't know if you have that language. Yeah, we in, do. In Australia, swap it's a funny meets description: a bunch of microbes get together and they trade just like playing cards, Dungeons and Dragons or baseball or football or whatever you guys play. And they swap their genes with other microbes. And there's a genetic flow in the microbial community that allows the entire microbiome to better adjust, benefit, and and offer benefit to whatever ecosystem it's in. So now the genetic changes that you're being made by CRISPR that did not co-evolve with humans and the environment over millennia, but have new categories and new results, new functions, could end up embedded in microorganism communities inside us, in the soil, in the oceans. Consider what's at risk. Algae produces more than half of the Earth's oxygen. Mycorrhizal fungi networks below the forest floor shuttle nutrients between trees. Soil microbes sequester carbon and create healthy plants. And humans rely on microbes for our life and health. And we are about to change the nature of nature. Not about to, we're already doing it. Now, there's also synthetic biology, labs where they take genes and put it into genetically engineered yeast or bacteria or algae to produce target proteins. So you have some that produce CBD from cannabis. You have some that produce industrial enzymes, some that produce medicines. What if that genetically engineered microorganism escapes and gets into the environment or What if some of the DNA, which they are finding in supplements, gets into the body and gets picked up by the gut bacteria, and now your own gut bacteria is producing CBD or industrial enzymes or something, medicines? Then there's companies like Bayer Monsanto that are putting genetically engineered microbes on the soil for farmers, like those that fix nitrogen. What happens if that gets washed into the Mississippi River and down to the Gulf where they're already dealing with den zones. Now, the nitrogen-fixing microbe might exchange its gene with the algae, which can make its own dead zones. In our film, which you can see on responsibletechnology.org, called Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle. Mm, I checked that just out. Just 16 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's a wake-up call. It's basically... About two genetically modified microbes, which, had they been released as planned, could have theoretically altered weather patterns and ended terrestrial plant life. Those are theoretical. It would have required a number of things biologically, but it is a theoretical outcome for a worst case scenario. Let's not release them to find out if it's true or not. So, where I'm going with this is that we have arrived at an inevitable time in human civilization where. We can redirect the streams of evolution for all time, and there's no one paying attention except the biotech industry, which is bursting open the doors with lies and fraud. So what the Institute for Responsible Technology is doing, and we're a nonprofit, is trying to create responsible regulation. So I encourage people to go there and not just sign up for a newsletter. Please make a donation. We were able to survive for 20 years and successfully educating billions about the dangers of GMOs. But when you're doing consumer education, that's cheap compared to creating national laws and international treaties. So if we're gonna be successful, we need a lot of people on our team. So I appreciate the support of everyone who comes to responsibletechnology.org and signs up for the newsletter, but also please consider making a donation and if possible, a recurring donation so we know what we can budget for going forward because it's a big task and you can't just stop it in three countries yeah. or even a hundred countries because it doesn't know borders. We saw that with the pandemic. It has to be global treaty with teeth.
0: Well, and the other thing that I want to emphasize too is that obviously there's a lot of positives that can be understood by the general consumer in this space about GMOs. And it's like, oh, we can feed the poor and, you know, all of the different things that they say. Um, but. A lot of the things you mentioned have occurred, like things do actually escape from laboratories that are meant to be some of the most secure laboratories on the planet um, and, and you, you mentioned that in your the gene out of the bottle um, documentary, you know some of these laboratories which are meant to be so tightly secure um have had all sorts of things escape over the years and people walk out with it on their clothing and then you know a few years later we've discovered that that microbes in the ecosystem anywhere on the planet um and, and we're possibly mm-hmm. reaching this movie like scenario where we're going to have Mutants in nature, and we're going to start, you know, creating uh, life forms that weren't previously discovered because our manipulation of the micro uh, diversity on the planet, biodiversity on the planet, has led to these strange growth patterns and strange animals being born. Which sounds like a movie from the '90s or the '80s, um, but that's literally <laughs> what we're doing. We're messing with the fundamental foundation of nature, and we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And and just as with our health, you know, I often get asked the question: With our health, do you think these All the diseases we have now um, existed 500 years ago, but we didn't have the technology to create them, uh, to detect them, rather. And my answer to that is usually, no, I don't think that we had these diseases a long time ago, because we have, you know, uh, more than 80,000 different man-made synthetic chemicals in the environment, which we regularly consume through the air and the food, uh, and the different stresses and the you know the different way that society is set up. And so, you know, this is just going, going to take that to a whole other level of unknown health outcomes that we don't know what to do with and of course you know often the i guess the answer for people that go down this rabbit hole is that natural medicine and natural healing modalities are a preferred option however we're now in this conundrum where those natural healing modalities have no experience with the genetic manipulation of an you know a new biodiverse planet in this space of like what do we do so then we're left in this conundrum of weird new evolutionary world that only mm-hmm. Pharmaceutical companies can help you with. And that's a, I'm scared of that relationship.
1: I remember um, hearing once about Ayurveda and their theory of healing. And it was years and years ago, before I was into GMOs. And they described how the human being has like all the laws of nature expressing it in it. It's kind of a sequential laws of nature that create health. And if the sequence goes bad, then you have a problem. And the plants, the herbs, are concentrated specific laws of nature. So let's say you have a problem with your ear. And you take a plant that has the same laws of nature and the proper sequence that is supposed to be expressed, and you take it, and there's a resonance effect where it resets the proper laws of nature sequence, and your hearing or your ear gets better. So this was the theory of resonance in this ancient uh, Vedic understanding of health. So then I started learning about RNA, DNA, and RNA. And it turns out that RNA in plants, which comes from the DNA, has a specific sequence. We take it, and it tells our cells, our genes, how to function. And it actually, res it's kind of like this resonance effect. And it can turn on and express our genes, our cells, our system in certain ways. Now, with GMOs, you're putting in genes or changing the structure of genes, changing the sequence, which changes the RNA. And now we're taking that in. Is is it that we then start to resonate and align with this bad sequence? well it's biological if you look at the rna it yes it can create changes by virtue of the proteins it creates the regulatory oversight that it that it's that uh, it, it dictates and if you look at roundup ready soy there's they look at the rna and there's six different ones that are produced from the soy none of it predicted longer than expected because there's an extra fragment in the, in the Roundup ready gene. And once you have that, it could be producing all sorts of different proteins, which you know as a as a scientist. And there's an example of how ancient healing knowledge is predictive or at least descriptive of what we may be doing to ourselves.
0: Yeah, it's it's really it's it's the unknown, the wild west, basically. And Yes. Yeah, I mean, in in a perfect world, it'll all work out amazingly and it'll you know, humans will level up and will evolve into these amazing things that we manage to create ourselves. But as hippie as I sound, I still don't believe that we come even close to competing with what nature has already been able to achieve in all of the years of evolution and creation. So um I mean, obviously we're running towards the, the, the finish line at some point, and that's kind of terrifying as well are we in a situation where we're going to create our own extinction?
1: You know, we're in a situation, I mean, I wish that everyone listening could see the charts showing the diseases rise in parallel with Roundup, for example, or with GMOs. And when you look at that, it's kind of jaw dropping. I go through about 38 slides in about 90 seconds or two minutes and I say, you just look at the at the way that these two trends, these slopes line up. I'll mention the disease.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's this quiet, amazed feeling in the room because people realize that all of these diseases that are rising may be skyrocketing simply because of what we've done with our food. And we actually can link Connect the dots. Autism, for example, which I'm looking at right now, a nearly perfect correlation, 0.9972 out of one, comparing autism in six-year-old with glyphosate in the United States over the previous four years. And is there a mode of action? Yes. Dr. Stephanie Sennett from MIT was studying autism and was looking for environmental toxins that could be causing the specific changes that she knew were related to the disorder. And she didn't find anything that fit until glyphosate. And she said it fit hand in glove. And she can describe exactly why there's a relationship. Insomnia, for example, insomnia is often controlled by melatonin, which is produced by serotonin, which is produced by L-tryptophan, which is produced by gut bacteria, and the shikimate pathway, which is disabled by glyphosate. So we destroy part of the, the ability of our gut bacteria to produce the precursors to serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine. And then you heard earlier, more than 50% of the people who reduced, who reduced their GMOs and largely went to organic don't have... Anxiety and depression anymore, better and better sleep. All these things, it's a straight line. It damages the mitochondria. The mitochondria is the energy centers, right? Brain fog, fatigue. They get out of the, they switch to GMOs in two or three days. Some people said it's like they woke up. Americans eat more than their weight per year in GMOs, but wow. the glyphosate is even more because it's soaking in the grains and the beans where it's used as a desiccant. So, the first thing that I recommend is switch to organic and take notes. Get a little spreadsheet. Every column is a different day. At the very top, the percentage of organic for that day. Then your energy level. Then your mood. Then every one of your maladies, every symptom, one to 10. And then switch your uh, diet as much as possible to organic and see what happens because you may be looking for. Skin problems, because you've heard that there's skin problems that clear up, but not pay attention to the fact that you just now lost weight, or that your, your your pain in your hands are gone. All of these have been reported. We don't know if it's going to happen with anyone listening, but record it all and see. In the film Secret Ingredients, there are doctors that with glee describes how some of their patients actually reverted. They got rid of their GMOs and Roundup, their autoimmune disease symptoms went away, The joint pain went away. Then they went away on vacation or they they got dietary fatigue and they changed back and the symptoms came back and that's what convinced them more than anything because everything else was the same except the diet and the symptoms came back. And it's easy to do with animals, you know. There's a grand experiment right now where all of a sudden the, the cancer in dogs is the highest cancer rate in any mammal in the United States, one out of every one point six dogs because we feed them. It was hardly <laughs> it was hardly ever seen before GMOs came in and, and glyphosate came on yeah. the scene. And now we know from the World Health Organization that glyphosate causes cancer in animals. So Anyway. This is good. I think you get the point. I,
0: no, I love your passion. It's it's so great that you're out there doing this work. And you've mentioned the website before a couple of times, but where can everybody find your stuff online and donate and watch your documentaries? Where do they go?
1: Beautiful. Responsibletechnology.org. We've got plenty of other uh, sites and all, but that's the mothership. Mm-hmm. And you can go from there and, and dance around. And uh, I would say that if you want to convince your friends to eat organic, because I know some people in our world, Maddie, are appropriately fanatic for themselves, hmm. but as soon as their friends start coming around and they start mentioning anything about food, the friends sort of move away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that absolutely happens.
1: So, so I, say, I say, don't try and convince your friends. You're discredited because they're your friends or your family. Let us do the heavy lifting. Yes. Just show them the links, you know, buy buy the the, the cheap rental costs for secretingredientsfilm.com and say, can we look at this together? I got some questions. Great and, idea. And see what happens. I've had like a mother dragging her 16-year-old and said, this is proof that this works. She was never, and now she's all about it. You know, you know spouses telling spouses, you must pay attention. I've been telling you this for years. <laughs> so, so it's like, and so the secret, secret ingredients, Or just share this this podcast as a first step. But this is why I'm I'm not just an educator, I'm an activist. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think in terms of the globe, I don't want this around for our grandchildren. In fact, they found when they injected glyphosate into pregnant uh, mice, the epigenetic effect affected the great-grandchildren worse Mm -hmm. than any previous generation. So we need to eradicate this use from our food supply as soon as possible. And now that CRISPR's out, it's even more urgent. So yeah. please share this information so that we can create responsible governance and not hand the keys to the kingdoms to Monsanto.
0: Thank you. I'm really appreciative of your time and your passion and your work, and I'm grateful that you yeah jumped on the podcast and shared this message with everybody. Now, I think I know what you're going to say, but I ask this question, this final question to every guest, which is of all the things you've learned and and Including the information you've shared today, if people were to walk away with one piece of health information that you wish they knew more about, what would it be?
1: Well, I would say organic, and the reason I say organic is because in one fell swoop, you avoid the GMOs and the Roundup and all these other chemicals. Now, if you're growing your own, fine. You don't need If you're buying from a farm that's not necessarily organic, but they're they're using the right principles, fine. But that's the concept. Yeah clean food there's many there's an ancient uh proverb that says with the wrong food the medicines won't work with the right food the medicines aren't needed and so if people say well i can't afford organic add your medical budget in there add your philanthropic budget in there because you're also now creating a better world for the farm for the farmers and for the environment yeah so change the orientation, and as you'll see in the movie Secret Ingredients, your own health bill may drop far more than your increase in food costs.
0: Amazing. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for being here, and there's no doubt that I'm going to get you back because you're amazing. Um, But in the meantime, thanks for being here, and uh, we'll catch you soon.
1: Thank you so much, Maddie. Safe eating.
0: See ya